Okay, so today I'm going to talk to you about a word called perspective. Perspective basically is the way we look at situations or circumstances, right? From a completely secular point of view, we could call it looking at a glass half, half empty or half full. Are you a positive person? Are you negative? That's all part of your perspective. Okay, but today we're going to be discovering that God has an entirely different perspective for us than what we are used to. Okay, so I'm praying today that your idea of perspective will be stretched and challenged as you embrace God's view of your life. That's what I'm praying for. I know for me, a lot of times perspective can get challenged just in the day-in, day-out situations of life. Being a working mom with three kids, two of which are teenagers, need I say more? And then a little guy to boot with tons of energy. I can get exhausted, overwhelmed really fast. Okay, there's this thing called mom guilt. How many of you moms out there have ever struggled with mom guilt? You know, like the whole, yeah, I see a hand. I'm not good enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not cooking enough meals. I'm not cleaning my house enough. Blah, 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 on and on. And you start really quickly feeling overwhelmed with your circumstances. My kids are playing too many video games. What am I going to do? They're home all day while I'm at work. It's summer. That's, that's just a snapshot into my brain. Scary, huh? <laughs> that's apart from the Holy Spirit. But very quickly, I can go down that path. And see, the thing here that I'm reminded of is that I don't think I'm really alone. Your struggle may not be mom guilt or being overwhelmed with that, but you may be worried about finances this morning. You may be worried about health. There's just so many things in our world that we get overwhelmed with. And it's very typical. It's normal. But here are six statements that I want to read to you that might be a sign that you need a perspective change in your life. So I want you to see if you can relate to any of these statements. Okay? Number one, you find yourself complaining and comparing your life and circumstances to others. Comparison. Okay? See if you can relate to that. What about number two? You are often worried about things you can't control. Whoo, huge one for me. Number three, you're often dissatisfied with what you have or where you are in life. Number four, you dwell on the past or dream about the future more than you live in the present. Okay, this is when you let Satan beat you up for past choices or you're just constantly wishing for the next best thing and you're never content with where you're at. Number five, you're getting impatient with asking God for something that you're just not receiving and you're wondering where in the world he is because you may have been asking for years and you just haven't seen it yet. Or number six, you don't really believe God hears your prayers or speaks to you. You may be at the point, honestly, where, yeah, it's all well and good to come here and hear Pastor Scott and Brent talk about God speaking to them, but you're honestly throwing your hands up saying, I don't know what they mean. That's great that they're holy enough for him to speak to them, but he ain't speaking to me. And you know what? That is okay. I want to give you permission to feel that way today. Because God, in his great sovereignty and his goodness, will meet you exactly where you are at. So I want you to hear me loud and clear on that today. But see, so often our circumstances can easily 
get skewed, or our perspective rather, can easily get skewed because we start believing that our circumstances are a lot bigger than our God. Right? Our circumstances are all around us. They're facing us every single day. Our bills are staring at us in the mail. Maybe the doctor's calling with a bad report. Our kids are acting out. We're tired. We're frustrated. All of these circumstances are right in front of us. They're tangible. We can touch them. We can see them. Okay, but on the other hand, God, God, in the perspective he wants us to have, seems so elusive. I mean, where is he? Right? If you're really, really honest with yourselves, sometimes his voice seems silent. Sometimes he seems far off, like we just can't quite seem to grasp him. But guys, that is where I want to challenge you today to push in. Like Scott was just talking about, when you feel the farthest, when you feel the most disillusioned, when you feel like you are on the very brink of hopelessness, that is when you push in and you say, no, Jesus, I am not going to give up. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. Get on your knees, open the word, and keep pressing in until he shows you his heart. He will do it. He loves you. There is nothing holding you back from the heart of God other than the enemy. That's it. There's nothing that you could possibly have done, past, present, or future, that would make him not love you or want to meet you or show you his heart. Hear me on that. Nothing. So get in there and fight. I'm going to give you a little head head start here today. We're going to go through just a couple of verses that show what God's perspective is. First one is in James chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. A mist. That's our life. That's what the Bible says our life is. It's quick. Yet how much turmoil, fear, frustration do we put in to day-to-day life? Because we forget, don't we? It seems like it's going to last forever. It seems like our life is all there is, doesn't it? I get it. Me too. But God wants us to remember that it is so brief that any trial that we're passing through is ultimately temporary, even though it doesn't feel like it. Okay, I have another example for you. Hmm, where is it? You know you have a kid's pastor talking to you when she has all kinds of toys. (laughs) Hang on. Oh gosh, they did a good job in the back. um, Winding this up this time. Okay, here we go. This is kind of like yoga up here or something. All right. See this little uh, bluish green little thing up here? See that? We're going to pretend like this is your life. So let's say creation started about right here, the creation story, Adam and Eve. History's come along, come along, come along, come along, and bam. Here's your little blip on the radar screen. But guess what? I'm trying to talk with a mic and stretch a rope at the same time. 
should have listened to my husband and spread this out in advance. (laughs) The bottom line, you get the point, is that our life is a blip on the radar screen. But yet we spend so much time and energy worried that somebody offended us or that our husband is driving us crazy or that we have that bill to pay. And trust me, I am not undermining these sayings because I get it. As humans, those sayings can seem so overwhelming. But see, there's something about perspective and understanding that there is so much more to life than just this little blip on the radar screen as Christians that changes everything. What if we actually took God at his word here? What if we believed him when he said that there was so much more, that life here and the here and now is temporary? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians actually goes so far as to call our troubles here on earth light and momentary. Light and momentary. I don't know about you, but a lot of times the things I'm going through do not feel light and momentary. And I know for a fact, looking over this crowd, because I know what some of you are going through, that they aren't light and momentary by any human standards. But listen to this. Paul says our light and momentary struggles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let that sink in. The English Standard Version actually calls it a weight of glory beyond comparison. So in other words, no, our struggles are not light and momentary in our perspective, but compared to eternity, to comp- compare to forever, all of a sudden when we look at that, when we look at it from God's perspective, everything changes. All right, I have one more visual for you. So here's my little fun ball. It's a tissue paper wrap beach ball. And I want you to pretend that this ball is our universe. So we're hanging out in the ball, right? Suspended in the middle of space. And guess what? I want you to imagine that there's this like invisible shield dividing what we can see with our natural human eyes from what we can see if we had supernatural spiritual eyes. How many of you are aware that there's actually a whole nother literal realm as real as the stage I am standing on? Okay, that is beyond what we can see with our human eyes. It's where God exists. It's the spiritual realm. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we talk about his presence coming down to earth, we're talking about a little tear in that shield where we can see where his presence from the supernatural comes down to earth and we ask for it and we beg for it and we want it. And every once in a while, we get just a little tear in that shield and we get a taste of his presence. We get to experience who he really is and it absolutely changes our perspective. Okay, all of a sudden we have the eyes spiritually to see what we couldn't see otherwise. Okay, and no longer are our circumstances divine merely by what we can see around us with our physical eyes, but we're aware that there's so much more. So I want you to hang on to that visual. 
Okay, just imagining that there is so much more for us to hang on to. Because see, this is kind of the main point I want to drive home today. His perspective, God's perspective, when you really get it, when you see that we're just here for a little bit, his perspective gives you the perseverance to push through to his promises. Don't expect that you're going to be able to push through to the next level for very long on your own because you'll get exhausted and you'll fall every time because you're doing it humanly. But when you match your weaknesses and your circumstances with his strength and his perspective, he gives you the power to push through, to persevere all the way to your promises. All right, we're going to look at kind of some practical application from scripture here. I want to walk through a couple of biblical examples of what this looked like. If you would go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews 10. And Andy did a great job leading in in worship today, kind of the beginning of Hebrews 10. But we're going to be starting in the 32nd verse, which is towards the end. The author of Hebrews is talking about some of the new Jewish Christians who had recently become saved. And if you know anything about early Christianity, it was birthed out of extreme hardship. There was martyrdom, all kinds of stuff going on that these guys had to face as they started this new belief system. So in verse 32 here, Hebrews 10 says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So right there we have it. From the very beginning of time, the very beginning of Christianity, Christians were enduring in suffering. You're not alone. But let's look at what they did. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood by the, side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Here's the key. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. They knew their hope was not about here, about anything that this world had to offer. They knew that their hope, their one and only hope, was rooted in Jesus Christ. Okay? And that is what gave them the confidence to stand. So do not throw away your confidence. Because it will be richly rewarded. Do you hear that? I want you to believe that today. Don't throw away your confidence. You could be right on the edge of your breakthrough. Push in. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That is a promise. Push in. You may not see it in the next two years or the next five years, but I want you to remember this line right here. If that blue line represents an average lifespan of 80 years. Think of the worst trial you've gone through so far. What it, how long has that lasted? Two years? Five years? I mean, if we as humans went through an extended period of suffering that lasted greater than 10 years, I mean, we'd think we were doomed forever. But think of 10 years on the blip of that 80-year lifespan tape. It's nothing. It's a sliver. And again, not to minimize your pain, but God wants to be with you in it and through it and give you his perspective of it 
And that is what's called faith. Okay, move down the page to chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 1 starts out with, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So really, if you're sitting here wavering, thinking I'm half crazy because I'm talking about an alternate reality, ask yourself where your faith is. Faith is assurance of things hoped for, evidence of what we do not see. It is believing without a doubt that there is more than meets the eye. That's faith. And let's look at what faith does for us. Okay, I'm going to assign, give you a little homework. Your homework this week is going to go to be go, uh, to go home and read all of Hebrews chapter 11. Study it and look at all the amazing things that faith has equipped people to do. But I don't have time to go through all of it today. So we're going to just skip to verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though... He did not know where he was going. Okay, think with me back to Abraham. Old, Old Testament, founder of our faith. He was asked by God to go to a brand new, quote unquote, promised land. Now you have to remember, there wasn't Google back in the day where he could pull up Google Maps. Hmm, let's look at Canaan and see what it looks like. This is exciting, right? No, none of that. And not only was he told to pack up his family and go, But he was told that he was going to have ancestors as numerous as the stars in the sky. And yet he was old and didn't have any kids. He was like 80 something. And so was his wife. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense whatsoever based on what he could see, did it? Not at all. But the thing is, his faith, his belief in what he couldn't see, gave him the perseverance, the ability to push through to the actual promise that God wanted to give him eventually. So he up and left. He packed up his family and left. And one of the most beautiful things to me about the Old Testament is that God uses it almost as an allegory or a picture of what's going to happen in the New Testament church. So think about it. Abraham, the founder of our faith, asked to leave his land to go to a foreign country to wait for a promise. And guys, that is not far off from where we're at today. Okay, it doesn't take long to realize that if you are saved, you have Jesus in your life, Holy Spirit, that your life and your thoughts look a whole lot different than the culture around us. We feel a little foreign, don't we? Okay, it's kind of like living in a foreign land. But we're waiting for this promise, ultimately of heaven, right? And maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get, Part of our promise here on earth, maybe we won't. Abraham wasn't entirely sure either when he made that move. But the point is that he followed God in faith. So moving on, it says in uh, verse 9, 11, 9, By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did his eventual son Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he here's the key, again, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So he wasn't looking to what he could see right now because it made no sense. He was looking forward to the future, to the promise that was to come. 
Move on down to verse 32, 1132. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Did you guys know that the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament, according to Jewish history, was literally sawed in two? I didn't know that till this week. I found that out in my research. I'm guessing none of us are really facing a trial that's going to involve that. Like, watch out. You know, if I, if I don't do this, then I don't know. I might be in sodden too by the end of the week, right? I mean, talk about deep. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Whoo, doesn't sound like something I'd want to be a part of. These were a persecuted bunch. These were the founders of our Christian faith. These were all commended for their faith, however, yet none of them received what had ultimately been promised. Because you have to understand here that they were living in the Old Testament. So yes, they had heard prophecies that somebody was coming to ultimately save mankind, Jesus, But they were going through all this persecution, all of these difficult trials without even having the assurance of their salvation like we do today. We are living in a age of freedom where we have forefathers and a history behind us of people that have lived according to the spirit. And so really we are without excuse because we have a living hope. And that's something that they never had. We have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is alive now and seated beside God at his right hand. And they, however, had to die waiting on that promise, but yet they lived in faith. It says in verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, that's Jesus, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Real quickly, moving on to 12, it says, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's these people that went before us, our forefathers, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How are we going to do that? Well, it sure isn't by fixing our eyes on our bills. It's not going to be by fixing your eyes on the promise that you've been praying for that God still has not answered. It's not going to be by fixing your eyes on the doctor's report. Sure isn't going to be 
and fixing your eyes on really any of the lousy circumstances going on around us? No, Paul says we are going to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. He conquered death and scorned the shame of it. And now is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So considered him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So I ask you today, what situation or circumstance in your life are you about to lose heart over? What is just about to put you over the edge? You feel like if you do not get breakthrough soon, you don't even know what you're going to do. You're almost at the edge of hopelessness. A situation where you cannot seem to walk by anything other than sight. Pastor Scott said earlier this week when I was in his office going over my sermon, let them know that if they walk by sight, they're basically screwed. Sorry. (laughs) He said it, not me. But it's so true. Why would we want to? Because looking at the world around us, it can get dark quick. Can it not? I mean, it is not all unicorns and rainbows. Granted, we're very blessed if more of our life is full of peace and joy than not. But we know good and well that a lot of times it's just not the way it is. So what we have to learn is to seek God's heart and his perspective above and beyond what we can see with our own two eyes. Okay, so here's the hard part. I have a personal story I want to share with you guys that just kind of illustrates the way that God has taught me perspective in my own life. I'm going to take you back to a hospital room, hospice actually to be exact. I was 13 years old. And laying on the bed in that room was my mom. My mama had struggled with cancer for four years, fought really, really hard since I was nine. And so she was laying there, had gone to every best doctor, Mayo Clinic, every prayer service, been anointed with oil, begged, pleaded, but yet she was like there. 85 pounds, morphine pump in her side because she was in so much pain. It was ugly. I'm not going to lie. It was ugly. My sweet dad, who's here with us today, was on the floor, on his knees, wrecked. And I thought, where in the freak is God? being honest. Now, I was a believer. I'd been raised in a Christian family. I'd gone to church my whole life, gone to a Christian school. But in my 13-year-old mind, that made no sense. And you know, I was there. I spoke the last words to her before she died because she just kept saying, Anne, I was the only child. I was the only child. And she kept saying, Anne, I just don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave you. 
I'm sorry I didn't have enough faith. I wish I would have had enough faith. And in my mind, at that time, I didn't realize, you know, of course that wasn't what it was about. It was about something so much bigger. God doesn't judge us by our faith or lack of faith and withhold or give based on that. But see, unfortunately, at that time, I didn't know. I didn't know how to wrap my mind around it. So basically, I did nothing. Looked at my dad and said, somebody's got to be the strong one here. So for the next 15, 18 years, I determined I was going to be the strong one. I didn't shut it here. Made it through her funeral. Made it years. I mean, went on to high school. My grades never wavered. Was an athlete did good, went to a Christian college, never would have known. By all means, looking in, people would have thought, man, she handled that well. That was great. But nobody knew, least of all me, that back in that hospital room, I had started believing a lie that altered my perspective dramatically. And the lie was essentially that God is not looking out for my best interests. Therefore, I have to fend for myself. Because if he was looking out for my best interests, my mama would not have been laying on that bed at age 39, taking her last breath. And see, even though I didn't realize that I believed that lie, it was with me. I have no idea. I continued to walk with God. I got married, had kids. But in college, started with these horrible panic attacks. Had no idea why. They're just out of the blue. And it progressively got worse as I became to be a mom. I really started struggling with panic and fear. And it was years. Okay, I was 13 when this happened. Not until around age 30. I think I was 31 to be exact. Did I finally come face to face, got so tired of fighting the fear that I didn't even know what it had come from, that I sought God like I never have before. I mean, we're talking weeping and gnashing of teeth, begging him to deliver me from this vice grip of fear. And he revealed to me that it was because I never had seen him ever since that incident as personally caring for me. I didn't believe he could handle it. I thought he'd turned his back on me. I was fending for myself. And wow, when you believe that, that changes your perspective on a lot. So it wasn't until I went back, literally in my mind, had to go back to that hospital room, hardest thing I've ever done. And I had to picture where Jesus was during all that. And literally, God showed me that Jesus was standing behind my dad and he was sobbing because my pain broke his heart. And God knows that right now for a little bit, this world, yes, is under the influence of our enemy in many ways. But he also knows that he is so good and so much greater and has such a redemptive plan for every ounce of the pain that we're allowed to go through here on earth. He knows that. 
So yeah, he allows our weeping to remain for a little bit. But it's never without an eventual reward or benefit. And this morning's the first time I've ever publicly shared the story. But it's the, one of the first glimpses, even now, 28 years later, of God's redemption at work. That he can take a brutal circumstance where our perspective may be so skewed. Lies that we believed for years and years and years. And he can redeem it. He can flip those lies on their heads. He can walk us out of that pain. And see, when we realize that he can do all of that, that's when we're free. When I started realizing that he had been for me all that time and that everything I had been believing was a lie, guess what? All of a sudden, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like what can possibly hold you back when you believe that God is 100% for you no matter what you are going through? So bitterness, anger, shame, fear, and the name and truth of Jesus has to be gone. So my prayer for you all today is that as you go about your week, like I said, I want you to read Hebrews 11. I want you to read it. I want you to ask God prayerfully, to reveal to you where he needs to change your perspective. But then here's the clincher. I want you, instead of begging him to respond the way that you want him to respond, to do whatever you have to do to get into a posture of surrender, to understanding, believing that his ways are higher than our ways, that he is faithful to redeem whatever you're going through. Okay. So instead of begging for what you want to have happen, ask him to download enough faith for you to keep walking and keep walking regardless of what you see on the other side. Knowing that what you know about God and Jesus is enough. It's enough to carry you through. And I promise you, in that journey, whether you have to get down on your face, trust me, for me, it was not pretty. Hours of snot-nosed crying on my face, groveling before God, telling him how mad I was. But that process of surrender is where you will find freedom. When you bend the knee, I call it going knees down and hands up, nothing can mess with you. God is faithful. He is so good.